0: morning. Good to see ya. We are about to get into the Word of God. I got some great news for you, and that is not this coming weekend, but the following weekend, we are moving all services back into our sanctuary. Amen? Yeah. Amen. All right. Now, once again, thanks to the incredible ways in which uh, everything is trending, that's gonna be mask optional, and we're gonna be able to kind of uh, avoid burning to death on Saturday nights is really what I'm trying to say here. Uh, That the the weather has kind of changed on us, and it's a a little rough sometimes when we're out here, so we would love to go into what's called temperature-controlled environment. You know what I mean? So, uh, once again, if you've been with us for this last year, maybe brand new to us. We actually have a sanctuary. It's in that building right behind you and we're gonna show up there. Not this coming weekend, but the following weekend. That is June 19 and 20. All right, that is it. Why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles, pull them out. We are gonna be in part seven of our Daniel series. We entitled that Dare to be Different and we're gonna actually be in chapter seven as well. If you wanna find that, I entitled today's message, Kingdoms Come. And I want to begin by talking about uh, what you're about to hear is going to get really weird, right? I mean, the first six chapters of Daniel are really stories. And we love these stories, Daniel and the lion's den, right? The, the boys that walk through fire. So the first six chapters are kind of in chronological order of events, But we are now about to see a significant shift. That the last six chapters of Daniel are all his visions and dreams. And God is about to pull the curtain back and allow him to see what's really going on. And in order to do that, he is going to reveal to him the future. How can God show the future if it hasn't already happened? Like how is, like is, is he gonna force it? Has he already seen it? Is it past to him? Is it present to him? Is it future to him? You see, there's so much mystery and that's what I wanna talk about this morning. If you have the handout sheet, there's a fill in the blank there also on your app and I just wanna give that to you real quick. There is a world more real than the one we see. There is a world more real than the one we see. You see, daring to be different means looking at the world through a spiritual lens. Daring to be different means looking at the world through a spiritual lens. A month ago, in part two of this series, I made an argument that God lived in the more real and we live in the less real. And here was my argument. If it all started with him, then he is the realest thing. Anything further away from him is less real. Does that make sense? Not a super complicated argument, but I think it's it's accurate. So I want to take that concept and add to it a little bit this morning. Behind the world that we see is one more real, the one in which God lives and reigns. The Bible is clear that we are going from the less real to the more real. The very concept of eternal life means we're going to that which is more true. Now, I don't know how everything works. I don't know where we came from, right? I mean, I watched Boss Baby, the animated movie. I'm not quite sure it's theologically accurate. I've never seen a stork deliver a child, but I understand, it's possible. But the Bible is very clear on where we're going, right? As a matter of fact, the Bible says that this world is a shadow of the real. The Bible says that we only partly know now, but then we will see God face to face. The Bible talks about mortality versus immortality. It speaks of death to eternal life. It talks about loss to consistency but do you understand that world exists now? We keep thinking about it in terms of the future, but let me make it practical. Those of you that have lost loved ones that are believers in God, you're expecting they're experiencing it now. Is that correct? So they're experiencing it while we're experiencing here, so we already know they're concurrent. But if that is true, wouldn't it make sense that before we ever existed, that reality was true? Yes? All right. So we're gonna get real personal. Let's talk about perception versus reality. There is a difference between what's real and what we think is real. Is that correct? Yes. It is. So let me ask you a couple questions here Is the world safe? Is flying safe? Are men able to be trusted? Are conspiracies real? Is climate change a thing? Are human beings important? You see, it's questions like this that demonstrate how the same people living on the same planet can live entirely different existences. Your reality is what you think is true. And you operate according to it. But there are people living in an entirely different premise simultaneously. So I have to ask you, what is real? None of us are living in the reality of our world right now. We're making decisions and taking actions based on what we think is true. But what if it's not true? I had a friend back when I was in the band. There was a... We were all young men back there, and then I went over to this guy's apartment and we got in a conversation about women. I know, shocker, right? (laughs) And he said something I'd never heard before. He said, I hate women. Now you have to understand my background, some of you already know it, right? Like I've only been around women all my life, right? I was a single mom, right? She's my spiritual role model. My sister was my best friend growing up. I, I worked in retail and insurance, so all my bosses were women. Everyone I worked with was women, right? And I always had women friends, and so I've always been surrounded by women. The idea that, w- that someone would hate women didn't even make any sense to me. I said, why in the world would you say that? He said, because women only want to take from you they only want you for what they can get out of you they don't truly care about you they use you for a purpose but they're all about themselves now real quick question ladies is that accurate (laughs) but he was living as if that was fact why because that is how his mother treated him that is how his sister treated him And that is how every girl that he had interacted with in his mind had treated him. So his world was that all of you are dangerous. Huh. And I realized in that moment, while we are living in two different realities, I don't even know how to get into your reality. And I don't want to go there, right? Hmm. What are you believing is reality that isn't, how would you know? Is it possible to know, right? One of the challenges of being human, and as limited as we are, we can't seem to figure out all the pieces. So we're not quite sure what is right and what is wrong. Is God real? Well, I think so. I bet my entire existence on it. But there are people that live their whole lives that don't believe God exists. They're living in a different world. Is the supernatural real? Well, I I operate in my ministry in the supernatural, but I know Christians that, other than getting saved, don't engage with the supernatural at all. So what's more accurate? Is heaven for real? The movie says so. (laughs) I've never been there, but I'm quite sure it is. But some people think this life is all there is, and they shape their entire reality, that tangible is it. Hmm. But if we experience reality through our five senses, and I actually had to write them down because I always forget one, right? Taste, touch, smell, hearing, sight. If that is the case, then how will we experience the supernatural if it doesn't operate in any of those five? How will we experience God if he does not primarily operate in those five? How do we determine the real if we are this limited? You see, our world is full of mystery, and that's okay. Because you don't need to know everything but you need to be able to trust the one who knows everything. Does that make sense? You see, being a child of God means that we're okay. It means that our heavenly Father knows what's up, and he'll let us know what we need to know when we need to know it. Amen? Amen. Praise God. All right, so let's walk into the book of Daniel. As I said, we have a significant shift. If you haven't turned there already... Daniel chapter 7, verse 1, page 744 in the ESV, if you're following along with me. Now, we are going to shift back in time, and here's what I mean. The first six chapters were in chronological order. Now that we hit the next six, they're going to back up in time and then start that process again, and here's the point. While those events were going on, Daniel was having extraordinary visions of the future the whole time. He now wants to thematically talk about what those are, and so he's going to back up. And the reason why I mention that is it's going to start off by mentioning a king who in our current series has already died. Well, that's why we're backing up to when the Babylonian Empire was still around and the handwriting on the wall king was in power. His name is Belshazzar. That's where we're going to begin today. All right, Daniel chapter 7, verse 1 says this, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, we're talking 553 B.C., Daniel, now 67 years old, saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and he told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea." and four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one like a bear, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it and it had ten horns. I considered the horns and behold, there came up among them Another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouse speaking great things. Let's pause. Anybody have that dream without mushrooms? Anyone? Anyone have this? No? No? Very popular in the 60s, this dream right here, right there, a lot of it. What do you do with that? I mean, you're watching this stuff and it's like a movie. Now, a vision means you're in it. You feel bodily in it. It's not just a dream. You're interjected into the scene. You can move with the scene. You feel lucid in this experience and you're watching it happen. Now, if you're anything like me, I dream every night. I dream bizarre dreams, right? And let's just pray none of them are biblical, all right? Or you're all doomed, okay? But Daniel knew that he was an interpreter of dreams. Daniel knew that God communicated to him in dreams. So that means he's experiencing this like a horror movie that you knew was real. You knew it was gonna happen. It was you were experiencing it in it, but it was talking about reality. So he was freaking out. This stuff was overwhelming to him, but the dream's not over. Let's keep going. says this in verse 9. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the ancient of days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that that horn was speaking, and as I looked, that ferocious beast was killed, its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of these beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. Hmm, well, at least it turned a little more positive, right? And you're like, oh, wow, who's that guy? He's sitting on the throne. Anybody got a guess on who's sitting on that throne? Yeah? Is that, is that God? Is that, well, there's another figure that's going to come in. Let's read that one first. Verse 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. To him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall never be destroyed." Wow. Who's that? Everyone's like, ah, Jesus, yes! All right, we eventually get to that answer. All right, if Jesus is the guy presented, which we believe it to be him very clearly because this is one that looks human but receives praise from all people and worship. Human beings don't get worship and praise. So he's not merely human. He is clearly God but looks human. Do we have anybody like that? We do. That's Jesus. That makes it easier. So I'll push it back to you. Who's on the throne then? You see, we got two options. Either it is God in his full trinity, right? Just saying the essence of who God is is shown in an image of power, and then a The second person of the reality of God is then presented before the fullness of God. And you're like, wow, this is getting a little heavy for me. I don't know. So this is where we default and we say, well, it's probably the father is on the throne. That's your other option, right? Because anyone with a beard is a dad. (laughs) Until the hipster era. You understand what I'm saying? All right, so every time it's like, oh, he's got a beard, and he's got white hair, and he's got, oh, that, that's got to be the father. All right, maybe. What I think is fascinating is the description that Daniel gives. You have to understand, Daniel doesn't understand what in the world he's looking at. So he keeps using phrases, it looks like. So when he describes who's sitting on the throne, he uses a phrase, the ancient of days. That's a rather powerful image. The thing that it makes me think of first is how long God's been in charge. That with that longevity there is a wisdom, there's a knowing, there's an omniscience, which just means knowing everything. But then it presents one like a son of man. Son of man means human looking, okay? now. That can be used of just regular people like you and me. In the book of Ezekiel, God constantly refers to him as son of man, meaning you had a dad, you now are a guy. But here's what's fascinating. That is the number one favorite nickname Jesus used for himself. He constantly referred to himself as the son of man. And that's what he preferred to be called. People would come up and say, so you're the son of God. And he would say, yeah, but I don't really want to focus on that right now. What he chose to use was son of man. Why? Because he was talking to Jews, and Jews knew the Old Testament. And he knew the moment he used that phrase, their minds would ping to this story, And they would say, yeah, 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 there's no question you look like a guy, but you're not telling me you're the one that was presented before the Ancient of Days. You're not telling me that you're the one that is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, are you? You see, it was not merely saying, I'm just a man. It was a way of saying, you know full well I look like a man, but I'm so much more than that. So why use that title? I believe there is one primary reason Because out of everything that Jesus is, the second person of the Trinity, full deity, eternally existent, I think he wanted to focus on one aspect, how much he relates to us. He said, guess what? I look just like you. Why? Because I took on humanity. Why? Because of you. I came here to rescue you. I'm your deliverer. I'm your savior. I know what you're going through. I have humbled myself to be able to go through pain and difficulty and suffering. Why? So I would connect with you. You see, every time you tell me that I'm high and lifted up and I'm glorious, you know what? I love that. The problem is, every time you say that, it makes me sound like I'm farther from you. Right now, if I'm going to talk to you, I went through all of this, not so I could be further away, but I did it so I could be closer to you. Jesus' number one description of himself is, I'm with you. That's so powerful. That's the God that you serve. And I think that's what's being revealed right here. So God is on the throne. But if God is on the throne, why is everything so tumultuous? That's kind of what Daniel's trying to figure out. I think what we're trying to figure out. So let's pick it up in verse 15. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious. The visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and I asked him the truth concerning all of this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts, he said, are four kings who will arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. Okay, let's pause for a moment. Daniel is going, I don't know what I'm looking at. So he goes over to someone standing there, whether that's an angel or a heavenly being, we have no idea, and he's like, dude, you've got to help me out here. I don't know what's happening. And the guy looks at him and says, oh, well that's easy. Those beasts are four kings and kingdoms that will arise, and then God takes them out and we win. That was his whole recap. And Daniel was like, okay, I feel a little better, uh, but what was the whole horn thing, and then, then there's 10 of them, and then like one knocks out There, I don't know what that means. And you're entrusting this to me. I'm what, supposed to explain it to somebody? I don't even know what I'm looking at. And he said, all right, let me get a little bit more detail for you. And I'm gonna paraphrase, this is what he said. He said, that fourth beast, you notice what he's like, yeah? terrifying ferocious like all the other ones you were like wow that's kind of like a leopard that's kind of like a winged lion that's kind of right he said but this one you have no categorization for this is something no one's ever seen before it's terrifying and it's got like iron teeth and bronze claws and it's just devastating and it's bigger than all the other ones he said all right Notice it has those 10 horns. Well, that's just simply 10 leaders that are gonna come up out of that empire. And then, while they all think they're in charge, a late arrival's gonna show up. This little horn is gonna show up and knock out three of those leaders, take their place, and kind of rule over the other seven. That horn will grow bigger and be taller than all the rest. Now, the eyes and the mouth means that leader will start speaking arrogantly, battling against God, saying God doesn't matter, saying that only he matters, that he is God. He's gonna start talking about removing religious stuff and putting himself and secularism in the center of it all, and he's just gonna be mouthing off and mouthing off, and then uh, he's actually gonna start persecuting God's people, and God's gonna let him do that for three and a half years. And then... God sits down on the throne, shuts everything down, takes him out, and boom, his people reign with him forever. Yeah, (laughs) praise God, right? That's what he said. So is that literal, figurative? What part's literal, what's not? This is the problem with trying to read prophecy and apocalyptic literature, right? You're reading it and you're going, well, which part am I supposed to be paying attention to? And is this like an allegory, is it not? Why does the bear like that? Okay, so let me explain it. It's actually rather fascinating. If there's nothing else in this passage, can we please just appreciate the coolness of it, right? Because here's actually what God just said. He's already told us this before. This is rehash, from what? It's the statue dream all over again. You guys remember the statue dream? There was a golden head, and then it was like a chest and arms of silver. It was a a torso and thighs of bronze. It was the, the feet and legs and toes of what, iron, but the toes were iron mixed with clay. And then a rock that was shaped not by human hands strikes the bottom of the statue. It falls apart and it shatters, and then that rock grows into a mighty mountain. You guys remember this story? It's the same thing. You go, why would God say it twice? Because he's quite certain this is what's going to happen. And he's about to tell you how history is going to unfold. Ah, well, let's take a look at that. The golden head or the winged lion that stands up like a man and has its wings ripped off, that was the current empire. The Neo-Babylonian Empire, Nebuchadnezzar started it. What's the whole deal about his wings getting plucked off? Do you remember when God drove Nebuchadnezzar insane? And then after seven years, his mind was restored? Oh, isn't it interesting that if you go back and search What decorations they used in the Babylonian kingdom at that time? Guess what it was? A winged lion. Huh, that's odd. Oh, we had a winged lion, so it's not all that surprising. Now, that was already occurring, but what about the next one? The next one was the chest and arms of silver, which were the bear, the lopsided bear with three ribs in his mouth. Which empire is that it's the Medo-Persian empire which is about to happen in 14 years like in the Bible we think it's really quick Daniel saw this 14 years in advance why is it lopsided because it was the Medes and the Persians together but the Persians were bigger so it was a lopsided kingdom Isn't it interesting that it has three ribs in its mouth when we simply have to go back in history and realize the Medo-Persian Empire had three major conquests and took over three major kingdoms? What were they? The Chaldean Kingdom, the Lydian Kingdom, and the Egyptian Kingdom. Like I said, that will happen in 14 years. But it even gets weirder. What's the next one? If you remember the statue, it was the torso and thighs of bronze. That corresponds to the four-headed leopard with four wings. What empire is that? The Greek empire. Why does a leopard have four wings? What are leopards known for? They're known for speed and ferocity. What happens if you put four wings on a leopard? How fast can it go? Shockingly fast. When Alexander the Great showed up at the age of 22 and took power, he conquered the known world from one side to the other in 10 years. No one has ever done that or has before him or after him. It was the fastest world conquest. Why does a leopard have four heads? As a matter of fact, we just look at history when Alexander shockingly dies at the age of 32, very young, his kingdom is divided into how many pieces? Shocking, four, four pieces, and they're each led by one of his commanders. So you have the first one, which is Ptolemy, excuse me, which is Ptolemy, and then the other one is Antipater, then it's Lysimachus, and then it's Seleucus. Those four leaders run the four parts of the entire empire. This is all going to happen 222 years in the future. Hmm, That's impressive, right? But then, what happens? We have one more kingdom, the terrifying beast that no one's ever seen before, the bigger beast than all the rest. How many horns did it have? 10, do you remember the statue that was iron and clay? How many toes were on that statue? 10, exact same empire, what empire is that? The Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was larger than all other kingdoms and it took over the known world and lasted longer than all those other empires. It was different, it crushed everything in its way right? Alexander did it, but he did it different. Rome just dominated everybody. And here's what's interesting about it. That's not going to happen for 407 years. Talk about God calling his shots in advance, right? And he gives shocking detail. Oh, there's going to be 10 leaders out of those, out of the Roman Empire, and then one leader is going to come in after all the rest. He's going to unseat three of the leaders. He's going to rise up to dominance, and he's going to go head-to-head with God until God shuts him down. Who is that horn? Well, you have two choices. Historically, there's been two opinions. One is it was a guy that came just before Jesus. His name was Antiochus Epiphanes IV. He was a super arrogant Roman leader that went in, shut down the religious services of the Jewish temple, desecrated it by sacrificing a pig on the holy altar of God, and was the abomination that causes desolation. Is it him? Well, it sure could seem like it. Or is it the Antichrist? You see, is he a prefigure of the one that will usher in the end of the world? Will there come one, perhaps in our day or in the future, that will rise up, that will then unseat all the other powers, will begin to blaspheme God and do it all over again, take control of the Middle East, and begin to what? Persecute the Christians. Is there such a thing as seven years of tribulation? Three and a half he rules and everything seems to go fine, but the back three and a half he starts getting really mean, starts persecuting believers until Jesus shows up and shuts him down and we enter into eternity with God. Which one is it? Yeah, I don't know. Let's move on. All right, praise God. Let's close this out. In a tumultuous world, with everybody vying for power, it's always been like that. We need to remember that God is on the throne. We need to remember that our Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. We need to remember that God called this out way in advance because he knows what he's doing. I'm gonna give you the prayer prompt. You know we've been doing these prayer prompts on Monday, Wednesday, Friday via text. I'm gonna give you the one for today. I want you to write this down. Lord, increase my faith that you are the king of kings and in charge of all things. Lord, increase my faith that you are the king of kings and in charge of all things. All right, so as we turn the corner to land the plane, I want you to write down one more word. This is an important word for you. You ready? The word is providence. Providence. Here's how the dictionary defines it. The foreseeing care and guidance of God, especially when omnisciently, meaning knowing all things, omnisciently directing the universe and the affairs of humankind with wise kindness. That's what providence means. Let me explain what it means. What do you do if you know that a challenge or a trial or something difficult is going to come. What do you do about it? You prepare, yes? Oh look, I have a test. What should I do? Study. Oh, I know that at some point I'm going to need to do this. I need to prepare. That's what we do. If there's a challenge, you prepare for it, yes? I don't think that's rocket science. All right, cool. When Susie and I had our first child, and I mean she had it, right? That was Jill. I, I watched. When we had Jill, we had this brand new baby, and it wasn't that long later. It was around when Jill was five or six. It dawned on us that this little tiny child was going to grow up and probably want to go to college, and maybe if the Lord desires it, she would get married someday, And it dawns on us that both of those come out of our paycheck. (laughs) And we thought, hmm, we might need to prepare for that. We started putting away $50 a month. We didn't have a lot of money, but we began to prepare knowing that something was going to happen in the future. When we had our second child, Andy, she was still in the womb when we started saving for her because we knew it was coming. Now, no matter how good you are at saving, I bet you didn't save as an embryo. We were making decisions for that child because we were the parents. We were anticipating what was to come, so we were providing for and making sure that we were anticipating her needs way before it ever happened. She's not thinking about it, she's not considering it, and as of now, our oldest one is in college, so praise the Lord we saved. Neither one of them are married, that was not an offer, it's a point, But there may come a day that they decide to get married. Well, once again, we have to prepare for that, and we have this whole time. You see, because we're the parents watching out for those that are under our care. All right, quick question for you. How do you prepare if you're omniscient? What if you know all things? Your heavenly Father knows all things. So how is he preparing for you? Way in advance. You see, the Bible's actually full of these stories, yeah? There's one that's probably most famous because of one line. The line is, for such a time as this. Do you know that story? Esther. Oh, that's right, a young girl ends up winning an impromptu beauty contest to become the next queen. She ends up going into the palace but hides the fact that she is a Jew. Nobody knows she's a Jew. And then it just so happens that years later, a man in the palace is planning the genocide of all Jews. That's weird. It's almost like she was planted there. Her uncle Mordecai says, hey, you were put here for such a time as this. Now, we always look at the story through Esther's lens. How about looking at it through every other Jew's lens? They don't know there's a Jewish queen. They don't know that there's any help. All they know is that an order was issued out that they're all going to be murdered. God knew. He said, I'm already on it. I got on it a long time ago. I got a queen right in there, and watch this. She comes out, exposes it, and saves all the Jews. Wow, what a coincidence, right? You think it was an accident that David was walking up to bring bread and cheese to his brothers at a war when a giant comes out named Goliath and he starts mouthing off about God, that ticks David off? Is it any accident that he's been practicing and is amazing at using a sling because they have to fight in hand-to-hand combat and he would never win with a sword? Is it an accident that he happens to be able to play the harp so well that he can soothe a king going mad, ends up in the palace where he'll become on the throne and carry on the what, messianic lineage? Come on. What about Joseph? Joseph, through all, he has a dream as a child that his family is gonna bow down to him. Guess what happens? His family bows down to him, but how does it work? He has problem after problem after problem. And then, all of a sudden, there's a famine, and the remnant of God, the very holy lineage of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph is now in danger of all dying from a famine. Oh, look. One of their own family members is in the palace and he opens up and provides for them. You guys, this is not an accident, it's called providence. Estimates of the building of the ark are between 90 years and 300 years. Building a boat before it's ever rained. Here's my point, God knows. He knows what you're gonna need And he knows what you need today, and so he worked on it years ago. We always ask the question, then, God, why not just stop the difficulty? Why not stop the pain? Why not stop the tragedy? Why not stop the problems? Because ease isn't the point of this life. It's the point of the next life. The point of this life is relationships we have a very short amount of time to build a certain relationship with God and he's gonna do everything in his power to build that bond. The tiny portion that we're in is not about making the world better, but by making us better. Hmm. God knows. He knows what you're gonna face today, but he knew it a long time ago. We call it, God, why were you so late? God, why did you come at the 12th hour? God, why did you only come once I had exhausted all my resources? God, why did you make me wait so long? And you know what he calls it? On time. He knows what resources are in your pocket. He put them there. And he knows the moment they run out. We would love storehouses, but he gives us daily manna. And the reason is relationship building. Hmm. He is not afraid of what you're about to face. He's been there before, and he can take you through. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's close in prayer. Can I have the prayer team come on up here? Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we glorify you today, that, Lord, that you are good and you provide and you take care. You know all things, and you, so you you move in anticipation and in preparation. That, God, that you know what your kids desperately long for. You know what the dreams are on our hearts. You know what is good for us and what is bad for us. And, Lord, you as a parent are sifting and sorting all of that, that we might be near you and that we might be blessed. Lord, we pray that you would encourage and intensify our faith and our trust in you that our love for you might be paramount. God, we praise you today in the name of Jesus, amen.